it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sowing division it's brian kilmeade hey thanks so much for being here everybody it's the brian kilmeade show already an eventful morning first time that anyone can remember a major system, a safety system that needed for any flight to get in the air was stopped. Last night they had a problem. This morning it wasn't working. 9 a.m. Eastern time, flights resumed. But I cannot tell you, thousands of flights have been canceled. Thousands have been delayed. But as of now, it looks like all flights are resumed uh, and we're back in action at the airports. But I can only imagine if you had a 6 o'clock flight, is it canceled? Do you have a 9 o'clock flight? Can you count on it? Communication is key. Uh, but once again, transportation is a challenge. Coincidence or not, Pete Judge is in charge. I'll give you more on that in a moment. Andy McCarthy standing by. Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. Big three time. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We lose 40% productivity by using electric. If they ever inquired with small business owners, I'll give them three pieces of advice. Get stronger filtration system. Get a hood system that works. And basically train your staff on how to maintain it. They're talking about getting rid of gas ovens. And that's a restaurant owner says we will lose 40% of all production if you make me use an electric stove. This is green gone wild. Cooking with gas. Whether you like it or not, the Dems make it a farcical move to say it's unhealthy to have a gas oven. Even though we've had it for 80 years in our kitchens. Make no mistake. This is the green Biden agenda. Number two. You? Listen. President Biden, President you are the first president of the United States in a very long time that has not built not even one meter of wall. What a joke. You think you're giving him a compliment? It is absolutely, well, you, maybe he takes it as a compliment, but it is absolutely criminal in my view. That is President Arbador of Mexico through a translator saying, congratulations, Mr. President, for not building a wall and allowing the biggest infiltration of illegal immigrants in American history. The failed border policies on display with the Mexican-American leaders, they heap praise on each other for doing a terrible job, but never say anything like it. Number one. DOJ is reviewing classified documents that were found in it. I heard, but it's not, they didn't say he was holding on to them, they said they found them there. Right. Ah. Do, do you think that poses a national security threat? No. This is not Mar-a-Lago, and this is not a president refusing a subpoena. Yes, it is a civilian vice president with at least 10 top-secret documents in a locked closet at a college. It is bad. Docudrama, as top-classified documents, are found at Joe Biden's UPenn office. His ridiculous answer and excuse, the president was questioned about it, And we've known about it since November. And that's why I've asked Andy McCarthy uh, to come in. Uh, Andy, of course, had an eventful morning with the stopping of all flights for hours, over 8,000 delayed or canceled. So that is the number one story. But on this, the president's explanation after, did it suffice for you? How big a deal is this, the document deal? Well, you know, Brian, I I think it it would always be a big deal because out of Biden's own 
mouth when he was uh, expressing how shocked shocked he was at how irresponsible Trump was. He pointed out that, you know, if those documents fell into the wrong hands, they could compromise methods and sources of intelligence. And now the reporting we're getting is that the documents that Biden was unlawfully retaining were uh, designated SCI, which is sensitive compartmental uh, compartmented information, a designation that the intelligence community uses when the documents could compromise methods and sources of intelligence if they fell into the wrong hands. So it's exactly the same problem. I think it's fair to say that the degree of what Biden did uh, doesn't uh, approach what we so far know about Trump, but in principle, it's the same offense. Uh, and the big problem, to my mind, and I, you know, you and I have talked about this before. When they gave Hillary Clinton a pass yep. for a really egregious offense, um, they really don't have a lot of margin of error uh, to try to prosecute Trump for the same thing on the theory that he is somehow uniquely awful compared to Clinton. And I think if you have a small margin of error and then something like this happens, it's it's pretty catastrophic. I think Trump. so, too. A couple of things. Um, I don't think you know, Trump leaving with the documents. Ridiculous. I mean, why, why have this problem? You know, especially because Trump and we've been over this. Uh, Trump is not somebody who loves to read. Uh, so he wants he wants memento. So I have no idea why he did it. But it was transparent. I saw the boxes at about one o'clock in the afternoon with a bunch of 20 somethings about to load it into a helicopter. So it wasn't top secret. He kept it. He was approached by it. They were negotiating, according to Trump. Having said all that, November 2nd, they get word that these documents contain at least 10 separate pages of documents that contain information on U.K., Iran and Ukraine. Of course, it has to be Ukraine. Right. right? So this is in the U.K. Right. right. So do you know why we how we found out about it? We found out about it because CBS got the news, and then he told us. So it's not like, right. well, guys, I found November 2nd. Yeah, you called the National Archives, but you didn't tell everybody. So right. and that would have been a week before the midterms. That would have been pretty bad. So now here is the president's explanation, because he's been asked by other outlets, not Fox, about the documents three straight days. And one of the questions was about that with the three amigos in Mexico City. Cut seven. As soon as they did, they realized there were several classified documents in that box and they did what they should have done they immediately called the archives immediately called the archives turned them over to the archives and i was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office so he went on to say this cut eight but i don't know what's in the documents i've my lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. Okay. What lawyer would suggest that they don't look at the documents? Uh, a lawyer who was telling him, look, if you, te- if you tell everyone you don't know, then they can't ask you much. You know, look, if you're going to look at this rationally, he's the friggin' president of the United States, right? He's in charge of national security. He singularly not only knows but would need to know what's, uh, what documents we're talking about because how else can you assess the potential national security danger, which he's responsible for protecting the country against? 
So obviously he has to know. But this is, Brian, this is the new thing that they all do. It's not really that new. It's been going on for years. But they insinuate lawyers. Like, why was it lawyers that had to, to pack up his stuff as opposed to, you know, other staffers? Everybody in Washington insinuates lawyers into everything they do. And then when, when something goes wrong, as it reliably does, they say they either can't discuss it because the lawyers have advised them not to, or they say, I can't talk to the grand jury or the investigators because it's all attorney-client privilege. It's a, it's, a, it's a game, and they get away with it, but they shouldn't. So, so the attorney general didn't tell anyone? Uh, he didn't come out and say, I found these documents, doesn't care about politics? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, funny about, it's funny about that. He didn't tell anyone, and therefore he knew both when he named a special counsel yes. for Trump in connection with Trump's uh, retention of classified documents, and also when the Justice Department went into federal court and moved to get Trump held in contempt because when Trump self-reported that they had found additional documents at this locker near Mar-a-Lago around Thanksgiving, uh, what the government did was, uh, you know, they basically became flabbergasted that he was Instead of being thankful that they had found the documents and turned them over voluntarily to the government, they went into court to have them held in contempt for defying the grand jury subpoena. So it seems to me that already the two cases are being uh, handled in a very different manner. Right, and it shows that he doesn't care about double dealing or hypocrisy or anything. So, and you know, the question is, did he leak it to CBS? Uh, because they would have had a strategy to push back. It seems like they were caught flat-footed, which makes me think they didn't. When it first came across to me, it matters in these days, CBS and NBC, then the Wall Street Journal. That's the order in which I got the breaking news story. So yep. it wasn't Fox leading the way, and it hasn't been Fox asking the questions. Nope. And so I think that's important. Number two, Andy, uh, I don't trust that, that that closet was locked. I don't trust that that's all they have. I don't trust the guy wrote a book. You would say one of his explanations would be, I wrote a book. I had to be accurate on this dealing with the Iranian deal because Trump undid it uh, or whatever he wanted. He wanted to get the exact documents. That's understandable. So just say I wrote a book, took it home, and, and I didn't realize uh, you know, I could. I don't know what your explanation is, but saying someone else took it as if he's the third person, as if he's not yeah. existing in this story is, is insane. <laughs> right. It's like the documents got there themselves. And, you know, look. To tell people you have to write a book, I, I you know, I hear you write. I wrote a book about the blind shake case, you know, about uh, yeah. you know, probably tw- ten years after or more after it was over. But if I had said to the government, I'm going to write a book someday about this, so I need to take all the classified information with me. You don't mind, and I'll just keep it in a, a nice locked door of my house. They wouldn't have. I don't think they'd have gone along with that. I don't think so either. <laughs> uh, so uh, just uh, you know what I'm, I'm just curious about. What that does for the case. So now there's going to be pressure on him for them to come back and say there's only 10 documents. I would say, well, I'm going to have to send authorities in to see where this came from. How many other boxes were there? What other offices, what other private offices did the former vice president have? Is that a normal thing to do? Because you'll already see that there, if you are really concerned about these documents, I'd want to go make sure that, that there was a lock on that uh, closet. I would say this. I would go in and talk to some officials at the University of Pennsylvania. How many people have used this office since the president won his election? How many times yeah, well, have officials come back? Who have you seen in this area? The Chinese heavily invested in the University of Pennsylvania, heavily invested into the Biden school. I think that's a little concern. Are Chinese marching through there, looking at different stuff? What do those documents actually say? Right. Well, they're— 
conducting an investigation, and presumably they're, you know, pushing on exactly those avenues. But I would say this, Brian, uh, you know, with Trump, you got a special counsel, right? Even though there's no obvious conflict of interest between the Biden Justice Department investigating Trump, there's a there's an absolutely blatant conflict of interest with the Biden Justice Department investigating Biden. And what Garland is now telling us is he doesn't need a special counsel because he appointed this guy, John Lausch, who's the U.S. attorney from Chicago, and he keeps underscoring that he's a Trump appointee. But what they're not telling people is a U.S. attorney can't be appointed without the cooperation of the senators from the state. In Illinois, the senators are among the most powerful Democrats in the Senate, Dick Durbin, who's the number two ranking Democrat, uh, and Tammy Duckworth. And I would point out to people that when 55 Trump-appointed U.S. attorneys were fired by the, by the Biden administration, the only one they retained was John Lausch. Wow. And that was done at the insistence of Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. And, and you, know, so, you know that Trump wanted to fire him. So and we don't know why, even though they they was nominated by the Trump team and put forward. So. Yeah, he could be the look. He could be the the best, most honest prosecutor in the history of prosecutors. But as long as Garland is going to emphasize to people that he's a Trump appointee, I think it's important for people to understand that he's a Trump appointee. But a president can't get his U.S. attorney installed unless the senators from the state agree, because they can hold up the confirmation. So he picked somebody who was acceptable to Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth, <laughs> and he's so acceptable to them that when every other Trump appointee got fired when the Biden people came in, he was the only one out of 55 that they kept. Very good point. Uh, so, Andy, we'll see where this goes. Um, my sense, real quick, the CFO of the Trump organization goes to Rikers Island for five months for $2 million worth of uh, tax fraud uh, allegations where he used company money to pay for private school. Does a 75-year-old CFO of a major corporation deserve Rikers Island in this climate where smash and grabs get a slap on the wrist or a, no, or a summons? No, I mean, of course he, he doesn't. Uh, in, a, in a normal, sensible world, what you would say is Rikers Island's a jail. You know, it's mainly for um, pretrial detainees and also people who get very short sentences. People who get serious sentences get sent to, you know, penitentiaries like Ossining and, you know, places upstate. But, you know, Rikers Island's a bad place. So, it's, you know, it's New York. It's not a it's – a, it's a very tough environment. And for a, a guy that age for five months, it's going to be a hard time. Uh, yeah, I just don't think it's necessary. Uh, also, real quick, your take yeah. on Georgia, on what they're going to probably come up with from what you know and how they're conducting this investigation on election meddling? I really hope they don't charge. It seems to me like the Fannie Willis, who's the U.S. the uh, district attorney down there, an activist Democrat, has stars in her eyes, and she wants to be the one to get Trump. I think that those the main aspect of the investigation is what they call the fake electors. But when you talk to those people, they didn't consider themselves fake electors. They considered themselves contingent electors. And what they meant was, if the Trump campaign succeeded in court in getting the election overturned, then they stood ready to be appointed as electors. But they were not like in on a scam to pretend that they were electors or pretend that they had been 
certified by the state, which they obviously hadn't been and which everybody knew they hadn't been. Gotcha. All right. A lot to do, Eddie. What do I owe you for this? Am I still working on a retainer basis? <laughs> you haven't even paid last year's bill. Oh. I mean, don't, don't mislead people like that. Well, Bob. you know what? Uh, I don't want to get details of the bill on, on advice of my attorney. So I don't, I don't want to know details of what I owe and why. Uh, but Andy, Andy, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. And he also writes great columns, too. Uh, bottom of the hour, Rich Lowry. Talk about the Republican agenda, which was out for everyone to see yesterday. I'm encouraged. Do you? Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. DOJ is reviewing classified documents that were found in I heard. It's not, they didn't say he was holding on to them. They said they found them there. Right. Do, do you think that poses a national security threat? No. Why not? Because I don't think so. They were in a locked closet. They were not accessible. And that's why the appropriate process was followed. This is not Mar-a-Lago. And this is not a president refusing a subpoena. I don't think it compares at all. Listen, I, I, it's not Mar-a-Lago. Just take it on its face value. You cannot say the 10 top-secret, ultra-secret documents, the highest level of confidentiality, uh, in the hands of the University of Pennsylvania because a vice president took it without telling anybody. You cannot say that's not a big deal. So forget it. If you don't want to compare it to Mar-a-Lago, don't. Don't tell me that those 10 top-secret classified documents uh, involving international relations in countries an ally in the U.K., an enemy in Iran, and Ukraine, of course, an ally, but cause, my goodness, it was in the middle of an impeachment investigation. You cannot tell me that doesn't matter, especially when you know Ukraine as it relates to Burisma and this ridiculous spot that Hunter Biden had on a board he was unqualified to serve in. So a couple of things. What is James Clyburn talking about? He wasn't holding on to them. He had them. What do you mean he wasn't holding on to them? He had them and holding on to them is the same exact thing. So holding on to them and not giving them back is the same thing. So because I don't think so, not a great answer. You would think at 81 years old, he'd be a little bit quicker on his feet. That's why he's still in leadership. I'm going to talk about that with Rich Lowry. I don't think this is the biggest deal in the world. In fact, I would think it's a one-day story. If Mar-a-Lago wasn't an ongoing 24-hour news alert on every other outlet and every other newspaper in the country. Let's see. Let's get to the bottom of all of this. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Attorney General Merrick Garland did appoint uh, the U.S. attorney out of Chicago to look into these classified documents and, if anything, um, that rose to the level of illegal occurred. Uh, He's a Trump appointee. So does that give you confidence that this will be handled fairly? Not really. Uh, You know, the, the concern I have is this happened November 2nd, apparently. 
and we're just now finding out about it. And the only reason we're finding out about it is because a reporter from CBS News somehow broke the story. So if that reporter hadn't broken that story, we wouldn't know about it. So why didn't they disclose it then, on no November 2nd? Obviously, it was right before the election. Uh, there you go. Uh, that was Chairman Comer of Oversight and Investigation. So he's going to be a busy guy, and he's very skeptical about the locked closet where we found just 10 documents in. Uh, we know that uh, two months ago, but we didn't find out about it November 2nd. We found out about it in the middle of January. Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, author of The Case for Nationalism, joins us now. Hey, Rich, first off, your take on what we've learned so much so far, and I'm curious, for three straight days in Mexico, the president got questions about these documents from non-Fox outlets. Is that significant? Yeah, I think it's hard to ignore, right? I mean, there's been such a focus on Mar-a-Lago, and then lo and behold, he got these documents in a, in a closet in this former uh, Joe Biden think tank or whatever, whatever it was. So, you know, what we know so far, it looks like the exact circumstances are are different than what we saw in Mar-a-Lago, right? There, there is an element of, of willfulness, willfulness on on Trump's part. He he knew he had the stuff. And he's like, I, I'm keeping it, guys. You're not getting it back. And there was a big fight over that. Whereas it seems as though Biden might have been unaware of this. At least that's what he that's what he says. But the optics are terrible. I, I think it the underlying offense. You know, it's the same having this stuff in a, a random box somewhere. And I think at uh, the margins is going to make it harder to indict Trump, which I think they were certainly uh, uh, preparing to do or um, it seemed like a real live possibility. So um, it's it's a, it's, a, it's a story that matters. True. And uh, by the way, we're monitoring the other major story. First time in anyone's memory. Uh, I was talking to an air traffic controller who's been doing this 20 years. Nothing like this has happened uh, to him. Uh, they all fights were grounded today. Uh, there was a problem. Uh, there was a problem with a safety system, the NOTAM system. It's an acronym, and they could not get one plane in the air. And anyone in the air was brought down to the airport they were heading to, because it was basically the checklist. If there's any problem on the ground, if there's anything unique to mm-hmm. an airport, that's the way these pilots and these airlines communicated. And for some reason, it was down. They knew about it last night. And our great secretary of transportation, unable to solve the problem. So we have an unprecedented delay. Can you imagine, Rich, if you had to get somewhere and you're one of the tens of thousands that just got to stare at that board all day? Yeah, I mean, this is a a huge disruption of American life, obviously. People's personal lives, their vacations, but uh, more importantly, commerce. I mean, it's a key artery of of commerce. You know, we have this huge delivery economy now. (laughs) Obviously, you you need air to make it work. So this is a this is a big snafu, and people should be running it down and make sure nothing like this happens again. I can't imagine what the cost is just just to to this this uh, the relatively brief disruption we've had. Right. I mean, the cancellations now, the reschedulings. We'll see when everything gets back on track. It's just airline travel. Uh, I don't. I know you have a private jet, but airline travel <laughs> for the civilians like me and everyone listening right now. You know, for example, you can never say I landed twelve. I'll meet you at two. Ever. Yeah, exactly. I just, no. I, I just don't exactly. take any flight for granted, and you always got to go a day early. I never thought we'd have this problem, but it also lends to the fact that our lives are going to be disrupted if the Democrats have their way. In the, in the name of green energy, give up mm-hmm. your gas car. If you're in California, no more gas stations built, no more gas cars stolen. Now they want to get rid of our gas stoves, yeah. saying that yeah. it causes asthma. 
Yeah, to to totally insane. I mean, uh, pe people are capable of making a decision whether they consider their gas stove a threat to their family's health or not. You know, most people it's going to be no, <laughs> it's not. Um, and and energy, it's just it's just one of the pillars of of modern life. E everything we we have and treasure our, our our health, our happiness depends on the consumption and the production of energy. Actually, Ezra Klein, progressive columnist at the New York Times, had a pretty good column the other day on this, just uh, how outrageous it is that the left has become anti-energy. You know, maybe you want different sources of energy, um, but you need energy. And uh, the, the uh, you, you can just you can just chart it. You know, the the uh, everything um, the lifespan to economic activity tracks up with with energy production and consumption. And if you want to stop that, eventually you're going to uh, harm our, our way of life. I want to get your take on this and go back a little bit, even though I got 20 other things to ask you, and go back to the document story. Tucker had something last night, and I never heard it before, but everything that we thought about the Biden name and influence peddling was actually in a letter involving Biden, but not with a Biden who wrote it. It was from a Penn University of Pennsylvania official. Listen to this story, cut 22. We decided to get a closer look at the University of Pennsylvania and its ties to China. We took a look at text messages from Hunter Biden's laptop to see if we could find an answer. And we found messages between a senior professor at Penn's International Relations Department to Naomi Biden, that would be Hunter Biden's very young daughter. The message from the professor begins this way, quote, Dear Naomi, I'm writing you tonight to invite you to take part in a major conference in China at the end of March. I've been asked to help recruit a prominent young leader. They, the Chinese government, will fly you business class and, of course, provide all of your accommodations. I don't think it would surprise you that they are interested in you thanks to your family name. I would not take offense at that. It is truly the Chinese way, and frankly, better you than that dolt, Tiffany Trump. If you are interested, can you send me your CV and or a bio? I would forward that, and you could expect an official invitation from Li Baodong, the secretary general of the forum. End quote. Well, you know, obviously the Trumps went to University of Pennsylvania, and to go ahead and rip a young woman like Tiffany classlessly is unbelievable. But having said that, the substance of that letter, what does it mean to Rich Lowry? Well, I mean, this is kind of a, a low-level baseline corruption that we see throughout our politics. Your uh, family members um, have a prominent position, and people want to shovel access and, and money uh, at you. You know, th this is why the Clinton Foundation was sort of fundamentally corrupt, and um, it shouldn't be surprising that, that you, you see this. Now, there are many more strings to, to pull on this one, but uh, you, you see indications of this around the uh, University of Pennsylvania and Biden's relationship with them and look, these foreign actors—they're not dumb. They, they, uh, there's a reason why they, they got Hunter Biden on their their payroll. They they think it's going to um, do them a, a favor or gain them access. That's that's important. So um, you know, you just need to be eternally vigilant about this. But most people aren't. You know, <laughs> when when there's easy money, most people are willing to to take it. But Rich, if you're doing an investigation, if you're a Republican and well, an oversight. Would you be interested in that story? What were you doing at the University of Pennsylvania? Why did $57 million come into the Biden Foundation or the Biden School uh, after you were there? And then when you left, what happened? Who were you in touch with? So this is just logical. It, but they want to, if you listen to Chuck Todd over the weekend, who I know you know, or this week with George Stephanopoulos, they're kind of pushing back already saying, listen, you're just going to investigate because mm -hmm. you're angry. You're just going to investigate right. because you don't Very like personal. Joe Biden. 
As if we haven't watched the most personal attack on Donald Trump you've ever seen in your life. The the latest point is the CFO going to Rikers Island at 76 years old because he paid for his daughter's uh, granddaughter's private schooling. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you cannot like Joe Biden, and but that doesn't mean that there there's not legitimate things yeah. to investigate. You can like him or not like him, and there are legitimate things to investigate. And I think James Comer, you know, we'll, we'll see when the rubber hits the road, but he's said exactly the right things. This isn't a Hunter Biden investigation. This is a potential Biden family corruption investigation, and it's certainly true. I mean, this has already been demonstrated, but they'll, they'll underline it, that Joe Biden knew about this stuff, even though he's said that he didn't. And then the, the really fraught question is, did he better benefit from it personally. And if they can somehow establish that, which wouldn't shock me, that that would be huge. But, you know, the the media would be all over this, obviously, if Joe Biden had an R after his name. He doesn't. So they're going to ignore it and say it's overreach and and personal unless, you know, they actually get get the good such that they can't ignore it. And that would be huge. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, There's going to be a committee out there that's going to look at the weaponizing of government. It's going to be headed uh, by Jim Jordan. Uh, and here's what – I've never heard anything quite like it, but it's really based off and one of the best examples of how the IRS was put after the Tea Party. That's a weaponization of our intelligence mm-hmm. apparatus and, and government. Here's what Jim Jordan said, cut 38. You got what, what we've seen happen across government in so many other agencies where it's been weaponized against the very people they're supposed to serve. The Department of Homeland Security – tried to set up a disinformation governance board as if some federal agency should tell the American people what they're allowed to say, what they're not allowed to say, that if that's not a direct attack on the First Amendment, I don't know what is. And that's that's what we're going to look into, because the first step in stopping it is you have to get all the facts on the table for the country to see. Then you go about stopping and making sure it never happens again. And then people obviously looking at the FBI and what we now know was happening with the Twitter files. Your reaction, because Democrats are having a uh, having a, uh, an aneurysm about this. Yeah, no, of course. He, here are the political uh, peril, uh, similar with the Hunter Biden thing. You, you wouldn't want the Hunter Biden thing just to focus on Hunter Biden. You want to be clear, you know, you're not hostile, hostile to FBI as such, even though it was distorted and basically used for political purposes. So I think what Jordan was saying there is absolutely correct. Get the facts out on the table, and then you can have an argument about what, if anything, you can do about it. But but the idea that you know we, we had uh, uh, law enforcement agencies and intelligence agencies going to, to basically media companies and t- telling them what they can or, or shouldn't publish is outrageous. And it wouldn't have stood any time prior to you know the last uh, um, eight years or six years when people have just been driven mad by this idea that, that Russia threw the 2016 election and have done everything, you know, and been in this panic about disinformation ever since. And they, they've totally lost their minds. And unfortunately, that includes people at the FBI. Uh, Rich, exciting time. A lot, so much unscripted material. Uh, even the, the fight for the speakership, we haven't seen that in over 100 Absolutely. years. So every day yeah. is another reason to read the National Review. Rich, thanks. There you go. Thanks, Brian. one 866 We'll come back and take your calls on everything. We're also following the airport story where every airport was stopped uh, for at least three hours. For the most flights, I think the earliest one would be about 5.30, maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. So about three or four hours, everything was delayed. I know you were affected or your family member or friend was or maybe your business so we're back in action. Again, transportation issues. Thanks, Pete Buttigieg. Don't move. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kill Me coming up.
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We've got a busy day. Again, we're following the, the, what was the three-and-a-half-hour grounding of every flight in the country, maybe first time since uh, 9-11, and before that it was never since we had air travel. Why they say it's this... uh, this system that we have, a safety system that we have that need barely to be uh, badly needs updated. Uh, the system is uh, something that we've uh, used forever, uh, and it's a way of finding out, for example, if Atlanta's got a problem with one of the runways, if there is a forest fire in the area that could affect the landing in Charlotte, if there's a situation in New York where the winds are really bad. That is how individual flights are affected that every pilot needs, every airline wants, and they can't get off the ground without it. So they quickly said, whatever airport you need, land. Land at the airport you're supposed to. And after that, uh, get out. And they canceled a bunch of flights. Uh, some flight, everything's postponed. I can't imagine anything's going to be on time today and maybe even tomorrow. So we've never seen anything like it. Uh, we'll follow that story. The President of the United States is back uh, after. Now he's got to answer more questions about his documents. And then we'll see where we go with this new Republican Congress. But meanwhile, I'm just starting to think, checking my watch, there might be time to find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com. Yeah, and do Unplugged right now. You deserve to have some privacy in your social media life. Meanwhile, the Golden Globes were handed out on Tuesday night. I thought they were canceled. I thought they were canceled because it was so politically incorrect. Yeah, no, they're trying to uh, revamp it again, hoping that with people going back to the theaters and watching, you know, television. That it'll well, Best Motion thing. Picture, The Fablemans by Steven Spielberg. I actually watched this over the weekend. It's good. I mean, it's not yeah, great. It's, it's loosely it's based great. on his on his story, on his right. life story. But it's, through, I mean, it's a fictional person. Right, but it's not great. Uh, you know, best actor. I mean, it was, are we really out of movies? I mean, what about Maverick? It's got to be the best movie. Not only did Tom Cruise pr- help produce it, did his own skits, skits, his own his <laughs> yes. own stunts, and he did his, uh, I don't know. I mean, can we have, possibly have a box office success that also gets recognized? Best Actress on the drama is Kate Blanchett, Austin Butler, whoever that is, is Elvis. Oh, he was great. I'm sorry. But Austin Butler was fantastic. Best Motion Picture Musical Comedy, The Banshees. I don't know what that is. Uh, anything else significant? Steven Spielberg got Best Director. So maybe his career will turn around. Uh, on television, the best drama, House of Dragons. Best Actor, Kevin Costner. Uh, and we have also The White Lotus being the best anthology. Next, wrestling giant WWE has reportedly been sold to Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. They bought something else. And guess what? Stephanie McMahon resigns as chief executive. So Vince McMahon is the biggest shareholder in the company after purchasing the company from his dad 40 years ago. It's been struggling, wrestling big in the Middle East. Uh, Vince retired last year, but now it's returned to the board on the position of executive chair and as a leading process, uh, process of strategic alternatives. So, again, are these the same people that do that own the live golf, golf tour? Yes. And this, it was an interesting timeline. This started breaking last night when Vince McMahon came back a couple of days ago as uh, reinstating his position. Last night, all of a sudden, there's a flurry of news stories. Stephanie McMahon is resigning. This is happening. They're looking at selling it possibly right. within 24 hours. Is it going to be NBC? Is it going to be Fox? Was at one point uh, talked about, and it turns out it was uh, the Saudi Arabia, which presents a different set of uh, issues. Right. But it's a, a, a very profitable company, despite yeah. The fact we'll that we'll see. But, but there's also the cons have a, a league. Uh, they say after his retirement last year, McMahon's daughter Stephanie and Nick Khan took over as co-CEOs with the son-in-law Paul uh, Triple H taking over day-to-day duties. 
So something's going on there. And did Nick Khan with the Khan family who have their own wrestling division? That's another Khan. Oh, different? That, yeah, that's oh, okay. the one that owns the uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's a, that's called AEW Wrestling. Right. Next, friendliest cities in the U.S., top five most places to live, uh, top five most welcoming places to live. Number five, Asheville, North Carolina. I was there. It's great. Chattanooga, Tennessee. They were very nice. New Orleans, Louisiana. Really? Mardi Gras. I don't know. They have friendly. friendly. Can you get out of your car? It's also the Myrtle capital of the world. But it's friendly. You throw some beads out and ladies respond. Well, that's just Mardi Gras. Uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, that is a great place. Uh, Honolulu, Hawaii. I don't know. They, I guess they're friendly. I don't, I don't know how they uh, recognize, do this. We have to look at this criteria. Next, a newly discovered comet could be visible to the naked eye as it shoots past Earth and the sun in the coming weeks for the first time in 50,000 years. Uh, the comet is called something very long after the Zwicky Transient Facility, which first spotted its passing in, passing Jupiter in March of last year. Why wasn't I told of this? After traveling from the icy reaches of the solar system, it will come closest to the sun on January 12th and past Earth on February 1st. Now, what about this, Eric? Is this something you'll look up and try to find? Because I know you're into space. I'll look for it. Um, it remains to be seen how visible it actually will be, because they always seem to overestimate how bright it will be. So but we'll aren't see. comets quick? Like, you're going to look, it's, it's going to go, right? Oh, no, it'll be stationary in our sky if we can see it. Right. Should we shoot it at, out of the sky? <laughs> I, don't think we could, I don't think we have that technology yet. And if we had it, we should give it to the Ukrainians. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, average adult gets sick three times each year. Spouses are the most annoying patients. Uh, they conducted a poll on train residential. The survey also reports the average person polled gets sick three times a year, 47% ailing four times or more. And that often leads to missing out on events like birthday parties, sporting events, weddings, job interviews, and dates. A lot of people don't want to go to those things, and they make up stories that yes. they're sick. I have finally got to the truth. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Wow. Uh, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're still following this story, uh, this long-term delay of all airlines, uh, of everything. I mean, not just your city, not just your airline, not just your flight, every airline. Over the course of hours, it was a system that was uh, giving warnings that it was going down uh, late last night, and there's been nothing done effectively, so they had to cancel all flights for the first time in anyone's knowledge. Maybe the last time was 9-11. We know that was a terror attack. It's the NOTAM system. So I'll follow that story. I'll bring it up with Senator Marsha Blackburn, bottom of the hour with Dave Rubin. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We lose 40% productivity by using electric. If they ever inquired with small business owners, I'll give them three pieces of advice. Get stronger filtration system. Get a hood system that works. And basically train your staff on how to maintain it. Yes, that's a restaurant owner who says, I need a gas oven in order to make a living. And by the way, so does every restaurant in our country. Why are you trying to ban gas ovens? That's what's supposedly going on. They say a far, there's a farcical study out there that gas ovens are dangerous because they give you asthma and a bad during hail. Get a hood and let us make our own decisions. Make no mistake. This is all about a green agenda. Number two. You, President Biden, you are the first president of the United States in a very long time that has not built not even one meter of wall. 
Yes, and that's why I actually despise what is going on at the border. That's the president of Mexico saluting our president for putting our security in second or third or fifth place. Failed border policies on display in Mexico. As the American president and Mexican president, he prays on each other for doing a terrible job. Well, perhaps together their policies have failed all of us across the border and the entire hemisphere. Number one. DOJ is reviewing classified documents that were found in it. I heard, but it's not, they didn't say he was holding on to them. They said they found them there. Right. Do, do you think that poses a national security threat? No. This is not Mar-a-Lago, and this is not a president refusing a subpoena. Really? Docudrama, as top classified documents found in Joe Biden's UPenn office, as the White House scrambling for a cogent explanation and a coherent one. The president was questioned about it yesterday. The GOP poised to pounce today, and they should, because the more they question, the more ridiculous they sound. So what's going on? And why is it significant? Obviously, Mar-a-Lago. The former president of the United States takes documents home. They ask him to give him back. He gives back some, not all. They negotiate on the rest. They decide they're going to raid. The FBI does a raid. Now they have a special prosecutor looking into a possible indictment. So then you fast forward to November 2nd, where it is stumbled upon, they say by lawyers, that Joe Biden, including at his office, had top secret documents about countries like Iran, Ukraine, and the U.K. in there, taken out. No one knew about it. But at every top level of confidentiality was needed, they didn't have it, and it was in with a bunch of paperwork from his family. Was he working on a book with it? Why did he take it? Did he know about it? A lot of questions. Enough questions that CBS broke the story because on November 2nd it was found they never would have brought it to, to put sunshine on it if CBS didn't break it, followed by NBC. The questions were daily at the president while he's with the Three Americas conference about what about these documents. Now, do I think it's that big a deal someone should be arrested and indicted? No. But do I think that the Trump thing was a bigger deal? So far, yeah. But do I think it's important to be consistent in the punishment handed out? Absolutely. So the top level, secret, sensitive level, Mr. 50 years in the government who knows everything, took it to him in private practice, who left it there in an office in 2018. They claim behind a locked closet. I doubt it. Do you think it's really just 10 documents? I'm sure it isn't. If the FBI is really doing its job, they don't just look in that alleged locked closet. They look to see all the documents taken out in Joe Biden's private offices outside the White House right away. They have an attorney, U.S. attorney, that Trump appointed but wanted to fire, that Dick Durbin loves, looking at it. We'll get an answer shortly. We'll discuss it. But in terms of how they acted, how they handled this, no doubt about it, there's a double and triple standard. Uh, Listen to Joe Biden uh, yesterday in Mexico City. Cut eight. But I don't know what's in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. Yeah. Why would a lawyer say, don't tell tell me, I will not tell you what documents you took? What kind of lawyer would say that? Well, you want to just say, I don't know. Well, you don't, you do know. I mean, these are specific stories, and you did write a book. Logic would say you took some of these documents home to write a book. Or you could say someone packed them up like you're now Secretary of State and put it in there. They're blaming Trump's lawyers. They're, blaming, they're trying to blame Trump. 
Why wouldn't you blame the former chief of staff for the vice president's office? By the way, we just got some numbers. 4,948 flights delayed, 905 flights canceled. That's the way a lot of you woke up today. Now, I'm not saying they're equal, and either is Carl Rove. Cut 11. There are differences, but you can't make this stuff up. But there are differences. For example, how many documents? In Biden's case, there appear to be about 10. In the case of President Trump, hundreds. How did they get there? We don't yet know how the documents got to the Biden uh, office connected with his activities on behalf of the University of Pennsylvania. We know that President Trump ordered the removal of the documents to Mar-a-Lago. How responsive were they when the, when, when the Biden people found out about it? They called immediately called the appropriate authorities and turned them over. We spent a year and a half watching the drama unfold in Mar-a-Lago, and it had to end in a, a police search to recover the documents. Yeah, they had to, but they did hand in documents, and they, and they were negotiating. I don't have any answers to that. I don't know why he took them, but I know they weren't hidden. I know, number one, they were sitting there in the tarmac. You see them outside the office getting loaded with a bunch of 20-year-olds onto a helicopter. And I think this fundamentally is to the system. I'm sure that there's some George Bush documents that, that he has top secret. I'm sure Obama and Clinton, we know Clinton did. He got caught with them in his sock drawer. You know that. And what, National Archives should go down there and do something. And they should say, listen, I know the administration is going to be a transition period. As soon as the election's done and settled and they gavel it in, they say, okay, uh, National Archives will be coming down. Uh, give me some key staffers. And we're going to go through all the paperwork that you have before you leave. I'll have to green light and sign off on it. And if you really need it and it doesn't sacrifice national security, we'll copy it. James Comer, on what he thinks we go where we go from here. Cut 12. Attorney General Merrick Garland did appoint uh, the U.S. attorney out of Chicago to look into these classified documents and, if anything, um, that rose to the level of illegal occurred. Uh, he's a Trump appointee. So does that give you confidence that this will be handled fairly? Not really. Uh, you know, the, the concern I have is this happened November 2nd, apparently, and we're just now finding out about it. And the only reason we're finding out about it is because a reporter from CBS News somehow broke the story. So if that reporter hadn't broken that story, we wouldn't know about it. So why didn't they disclose it then, on no, November 2nd? Obviously, it was right before the election. All right. And, and there's a lot of different things that, with this Biden school that maybe link back to the laptop. And the laptop is interesting because last night, Tucker Carlson wisely said, let's go back over the laptop and see if there's anything relating to the Biden school in it. And listen to what Tucker found. Cut 22. We decided to get a closer look at the University of Pennsylvania and its ties to China. We took a look at text messages from Hunter Biden's laptop to see if we could find an answer. And we found messages between a senior professor at Penn's International Relations Department to Naomi Biden. That would be Hunter Biden's very young daughter. The message from the professor begins this way, quote, Dear Naomi, I'm writing you tonight to invite you to take part in a major conference in China at the end of March. I've been asked to help recruit a prominent young leader. They, the Chinese government, will fly you business class and, of course, provide all of your accommodations. I don't think it would surprise you that they are interested in you thanks to your family name. I would not take offense at that. It is truly the Chinese way. And frankly, better you than that dolt Tiffany Trump. If you're interested, can you send me your CV and or a bio? I would forward that, and you could expect an official invitation from Li Baodong, the secretary general of the forum. Right. End quote. So only China and Biden connections? That's all. Concerned already? Are you more concerned? 
Did they actually say the Biden name is why they're interested? Exactly what Joe Biden knew when he sent his son out there to trade on it. How is that not a story? How is that a vendetta against a crack-addicted son? How is that Democrat and Republican? That is just what Tucker's team found yesterday. So I wanted to share that with you. When we come back, I'm going to go over the what Marsha Blackburn found at the border, uh, what she was able to discover. She went down there with a bipartisan council. I'm into that. I, I love the fact that there was a bipartisan agreement that there should be a special committee, investigative committee, looking into China. Mike Gallagher was going to head it up. And originally they say no Democrat would want to take part. And I thought, why? I thought the Democrats understood the threat of China. And I thought they would. Well, it turns out when I put it to a vote, do you want to be involved and should we have it? 365 to 65 to establish a bipartisan select committee, which means we're going to get some Democrats serving on it, which we need. I love the Kelly, which I asked for. I love that Murphy, which was great. Surprise. I love that Coons was down there. Those are three off the top of my head. We're down with Republicans at the border. I want to get this sealed. You understand? I don't care about the election. I want the border sealed. This is out of control. We just can't digest 4 million people. Every city is overwhelmed. Who knows who these people are? That's the whole point of screening. When we come back, Marsha Blackburn, then Dave Rubin. I'm so glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Unfortunately, it used to happen in the past. We have said this, and I repeat it today. I insist on this. You, President Biden, you are the first president of the United States in a very long time that has not built not even one meter of wall. Right. And I'm disgusted by it. And he thinks it's a badge of honor. And so does the president of Mexico. That was part of their final press conference as they left the meeting of Americas yesterday. Senator Marsha Blackburn spent her time at the border, not sanitized the real border to look at the real problems. But I was the thing that was different about this. It was a bipartisan delegation. Senator, welcome back. First off, can you comment on the president of Mexico thinking it is a good thing that he has not built one meter of wall? It is astounding to me, Brian, that that the president would celebrate getting such a comment that he would think this is a good thing to say we're not building a wall. When you talk with Border Patrol, they will tell you specifically if they had a barrier, a wall or fencing, and then if that was built everywhere they could, if they had better technology where you cannot build a barrier, if they had more agents, they could do their job. They could get this border under control. But unfortunately, right now, that's not what they have. And they are saying build a barrier, put remain in Mexico in place, keep Title 42, get rid of catch and release. And we can secure this border. We can do our job, which is what we take our oath to do, to protect this country, to protect from illegal entry. Because right now, we don't know who is coming in. I know. There are so many gotaways that are known and unknown. And we do not know who they are or where they're going. All right. So listen to President Biden talk about the real problem that's causing all this strife. Cut 24. 
This has been the greatest migration in human history around the world, as well as in this hemisphere. And uh, when I got elected, the first thing I, the first major piece of legislation I introduced was to reform the immigration process, to make it more orderly, to make it more, to make sure people have access under the law. Is, is Joe Biden just happened to be president during the greatest migration in human history? Or did he cause the greatest migration in human history because he's president? When you talk to the Border Patrol agents, when you talk to the ranchers, the mayors, the sheriffs that are in the border area, they're in Del Rio where I was, they're at Eagle Pass, they will tell you never have they seen it like this. And these are people that have lived on the border all of their life, and they are astounded with what is happening. And as a rancher said to me yesterday, he said, you know, how long can we sustain this? How long are we supposed to be able to sustain this? Because they're finding um, individuals that are dead, uh, that are there on their property. They are having their fences torn down, their cattle let out. They're having their uh, farms where they're trying to grow crops being run through by migrants. The cartels are the ones that are making the money on this. They tell the migrants, oh, come with us, and we're going to get you to the U.S. border. And by the way, when we get you there, they're going to take care of you. They're going to send you where they want to go. So the cartels are making money. The U.S. taxpayer is getting the bill. And you have individuals that are being brutalized along this route, and you have ranchers and farmers that cannot use their property, and you have county mayors and sheriffs that are saying, look, so, the federal government is shifting all this cost to us. But, Senator, have you gotten any by? Do you think the Democrats are as— uh, as knowledgeable about it as you are, and are they willing to take border action? Forget comprehensive, but border action. My hope is that they will take border action. Now, my car- my visit down there was not a bipartisan bit- visit. It was with Senators Brent, Brent and Hyde-Smith, and we did focus on the humanitarian cost and what is happening and what is happening when the fentanyl gets into this country and the drugs that are making their way, the crime making their way into our communities. And, Brian, it is so amazing that the Democrats have not stood up against all of this human trafficking and what is happening to these women and girls. Cartels have turned human trafficking, sex trafficking, from a half-billion-dollar business to about a $15 billion-a-year business. And the human cost of this is unbelievable. The cost, the human cost to loss of life and yeah. harm in our communities with drugs. It's awful. Right. We'll see where it goes real quick. Any word on the airport, why everything closed, this whole no-tam system, why it went down and they had hours to work on it, couldn't get it up? Uh, no idea yet. All we have heard is what has been reported and um, I think the transportation secretary thinks he got it all back up and working, and uh, it's very odd to me. I think we'll find out soon if it was a glitch or if it was a cyber attack. Uh, Yeah, they said so far no sign of cyber, just old. Okay, either way, it's not a good story. Uh, Either way, people are just feel like they should give up on 
uh, efficiency when it comes to uh, flight. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Tennessee. Thanks so much, Marsha. Good to be with you. Bye-bye. You got it. one 408 7669 The great Dave Rubin, the Rubin Report guy, will be joining us, best-selling author, great speaker, uh, providing insight around the country, around the world. Don't move. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. show like no other it's brian kilmeade as soon as they did they realized there were several classified documents in that box and they did what they should have done they immediately called the archives immediately called the archives turned them over to the archives and i was briefed about this discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office all right, enough said. If you were surprised, that's good enough for me. So Dave Rubin, too, who just happens to be on the line, the host of the Rubin Report, best-selling author. His latest book is Don't Burn This Country, Surviving and Thriving in Our Woke uh, Dystopia. Dave, so the president's explained it away. You okay with it now? <laughs> right, I love it. Ineptitude, incompetence, right. buffoonery. I was surprised. Isn't that great, man? I mean, that's what I'm going to do when I screw up over here. I'm running a couple of companies, and if my guys, if something falls through the cracks, I'm just going to, hey, guys, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know? I'm just the guy in charge of everything. I mean, look, I, I honestly believe him, to, to be totally frank. I do believe that he had no idea about this because he doesn't really have an idea about much that's going on at the White House or you know around D.C., but that being said, it's not an excuse. Now, my gut feeling is nothing will come of this, just like nothing came of the Mar-a-Lago thing. But, uh, Brian, you probably saw it, uh, Joy Behar yesterday on The View talking about this, basically saying, hey, you know, Biden's our guy, so we should just let it go. And I think that that's really how most of the mainstream media views this thing. So when he says he doesn't know, they, they view that as a legit excuse, whether it is or is not. <laughs> well, it's just so interesting because he's so everybody's on the record so outraged about Mar-a-Lago. And I'm not saying the quantity and the situations are identical, but enough commonality to wonder if the attorney general, you mentioned that it didn't amount to anything. In the attorney general's eyes, he's got a special prosecutor that they pull back from The Hague that wants to, I think his goal was to indict. Do you think, Dave, they would have any problem selling that to the American people while giving President Biden a pass, being that at least 10, at least, I'm sure there are more. Ten of those documents were up the highest level of confidentiality. Right. Well, look, here's where I always say there's only one privilege in the United States, and it's Democrat privilege, meaning that if you're a Democrat or a lefty, you can lie, you can cheat, you can steal. The media will run cover for you. They will protect you. And, of course, if you're a Republican or basically anyone who's not a Democrat, you don't even have to be a, a you know sort of dyed-in-the-cast conservative. If you're just anyone who's not a Democrat, they'll go after you and try to destroy you for those same things. I mean, the fundamental, if we get into the nuts and bolts of this thing, the fundamental difference here is that the president, and Trump was the president at the time, he does have the technical uh, ability to declassify things. The vice president does not. So in a 50-50 world here where the laws were applied equally, 
it seems to me that Biden would probably be in more trouble. But, he, you know, my guess is maybe, if anything, they'll find a fall guy for Biden, you know, just some mid-level guy who uh, who took him, didn't realize it, and he'll take the fall and get some slap on the wrist. And, yeah, they'll push the Trump thing to the end, but I, I don't think anything will come of it, much like nothing came of, you know, impeachment one or impeachment two. Or didn't they impeach him when he drank water with two hands and brought McDonald's to those football players? It's hard to remember how many times they did it. Right. No, they did, and obviously— uh, with impeachment in the Ukraine, the Ukraine documents were part of the documents he shouldn't have taken. Right. And we right. do know that three days before he was leaving office, Ukraine says, why is the vice president coming? Why did the vice president go to Ukraine three days before he left office with Barack Obama? Why would that be? Why was he having all these meetings? So I think we're about to get to the bottom of some of these things, don't you? Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, look, we know that his son was working for Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company, as a consultant making, I think it was 80 grand a month with literally no expertise, while at the exact same time, we now know because of the Biden laptop, uh, you know, he was a crackhead. I mean, genuinely a, a crack addict. Uh, so do you think that maybe he was hired for that job because he was trying to – the Ukrainians wisely were trying to get access to his dad, who was then the vice president? So, yeah, there does seem like there's something here and that the documents had something to do with Ukraine. But, again, this is just sort of where the media will do everything right. possible to make sure that we do not see that, where they do the, the complete reverse, of course, if it was Trump. Uh, here's what James Comer said about the revelations we just discussed and the possible links with China – and believe it or not, the Biden Center, cut 13. We already had the Biden Center on our radar screen uh, for just the reason that you mentioned, the anonymous donations from China. This is unprecedented to have anonymous donations in the million-dollar range going directly to the immediate family of Joe Biden. It's almost as if there's a money trail from the Biden front door all the way to China. This is why Republicans are going to investigate the Biden family influence peddling. We are concerned that uh, this White House is compromised. Joe Biden said he was going to be the most transparent president in history when he was a candidate, and I think we could make a strong argument that he's the least transparent president uh, in history. So what do you think about this? I mean, there, there's something there, and Comer's going for it. He doesn't really care uh, how Chuck Todd gets on him or George Stephanopoulos mm -hmm. uh, judges him. Well, well, one thing that's been really nice in the couple days since McCarthy has taken the, the speaker is that the Republicans do seem like they're getting a backbone. They're doing a couple investigations here. You know, they removed Swalwell and Ilhan Omar and Adam Schiff from some intelligence uh, committees. They're starting to do some things. But directly to the point on, on this, I mean, look, it sort of feels, if you were just an objective observer, putting aside partisan politics, uh, you know, we've seen the Hunter Biden emails where they talk about money going to the, what do they call him, the big man or the top man, something big like guy. that. The big guy, right? So it's like, well, wait a minute. Now, if they're using his this school as a way to funnel some of the money and get some of the influence, and Biden himself, I mean, he, you know, he's on video talking about firing the Ukrainian uh, uh, prosecutor. It's like there, there is something here, but Brian, you know how this thing works. The swamp figures out a way to protect itself. I do think there's a there's a unique moment right now because Republicans are feeling kind of emboldened. So you guys got to run with this because uh, maybe that that truly smoking gun is there. So the big story, the other big story, which seemed like a small story when I read it, but it's getting bigger: banning gas stoves. 
They come up with some ridiculous study that says it causes from cancer to asthma on down, and we're going to have to make the transition. Now, Dave, you don't have to get rid of your gas stove, but when it's time for a new stove, you have to get an electric one. That, that you know it's they're doing in California. And listen to what the governor of New York said yesterday, cut 30. I'm proposing a plan to end the sale of new fossil-powered heating equipment by 2030 by calling for construction of all new construction to be zero emission starting in 2025 for small buildings and 2028 for large buildings. And to get them out of you, buy an electric oven next. You, By the way, you, you can't have a restaurant with an electric oven. You, yes, you, 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 people, what is wrong with it? This is a green agenda item. These people are completely out of control. First off, on the, on the uh, zero emission building by 2025, does she not realize we're in 2023 right now? And I know the Democrats aren't good at actually producing anything. They're very good at destroying things. But does she know that there are all sorts of buildings being built right now that plans have been in the works for years? Yeah. That guys are actually on roofs right now doing far more complex things than she's ever done in her life and that they're going to now pay the price because of her regulations. That's number one. Number two, I actually, as you know, I'm a, I'm a new transplant to Florida, moved into my house a year ago. We did not have uh, gas to the house directly, so I had an electric stove here. And the first thing that I did, because nobody <laughs> wants to cook on an electric stove, the first thing that I did was put a propane tank outside my house <laughs> so that we could cook on a gas-top uh, top oven, which that's what all chefs want to do. And you're right, that restaurants... There are reasons that you want to use real fire. I know these people don't like human things, so even cooking and eating is now a problem for them. But, you know, we've been cooking on fire for a long, long time, human beings, and gas is a perfectly fine way of doing it. And ask any chef, ask anyone who spends any time in the kitchen, uh, do you want to use an electric stove or a gas-powered stove? And and 100% of the people who know what they're talking about want to use the gas stove. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, he, by the way, uh, almost every restaurateur said we we can't even do it uh, with uh, with anything else. When when it's all said and done, six months from now to a year and a half from now, before before we go into a full election mode, Dave Rubin, do you think the Republicans will be in a good place in the House, or will we see more situations like we saw last week? You know, I have to say I'm feeling very bullish on the Republicans right now. This is a brief moment. This is a brief moment. We saw some fighting last week, but I don't mind three days or four days of fighting uh, if it's going to cause everyone to kind of step up a little bit. I think you can see McCarthy already. He's feeling empowered right now. You know, Byron Donalds, I'm here in Florida, Byron Donalds, Southwest Florida congressman, he's becoming an absolute star right now. Uh, they are starting, look, they, they're talking about cutting taxes. The first thing that McCarthy did says we're going to cut the funding to the 87,000 IRS agents. They're starting to do the right things. Jim Jordan's going to look into government overreach. Keep going. Keep going, guys. And look, the Senate will will come that will not give you what you want, obviously. Right. You know, but what they can do is they can show people, hey, we are actually trying to be on your side. I think that's a good message right now. And they just have to keep pushing. And you never know what happens if you do the right thing. Sometimes people start following. Look what's going on here in Florida. I have the sense, though, if anyone does an investigation, you got more than 10 documents in Joe Biden's so-called lock closet that he doesn't know anything about. Maybe maybe it was Corn Pop that brought those documents in there, you think? I'm going to go with that, and I expect to hear that on your podcast. Dave Rubin, <laughs> thanks so much. Host of the Rubin Report. Go get him, Dave. You, Brian. you got it. 1-866-408-7669. We're going to come back in just a moment. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. one 408 appreciate everyone tuning in. By the way, I get this question a lot. If anybody wants any of my books from uh, the President Freedom Fighter to Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers to George Washington's Secret Six, Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, and Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, if you go to BrianKilmead.com, it'll go to me locally. I'll be able to personalize it and get it out. Uh, quick thing to note. Uh, Bill, listen, you're in Ocala. Bill, what's on your mind? Yeah, this uh, banning the gas ovens is uh, politically motivated by the green agenda. I'm convinced of that. And also another uh, entity in the government, I'm not sure which one, wants to ban guns because they say it's a health hazard. Come on. Listen, little by little, if you think about the gas, the electric car, everything, they're not trying to build an electric car to be competitive. They're trying to say you can't have your gas car. And people, the American people don't like that. Uh, the whole mass debate, the whole vaccine debate, what's going on right now with nurses and people in the military being thrown out because of the vaccine, being forced to change. If you're just going to tell people we're taking a gas car away, people are just going to move. They're going to move to the states where you can get gas. And they're going to start saying, whoever told me to do that, you've lost me. And then when you tell me to take my oven out, you already told me to change my car out. Now you're taking my oven out. And then, of course, if you want to get a discount, you're going to have to loop your thermostat to the local municipality. Do you want to do that? And then when there's rolling blackouts, they're going to say, sorry, don't charge your car. How do you get anywhere? Maybe mass transportation or an electric bus. Sooner or later, you lose more and more autonomy. Wrong country, wrong approach. Eric, WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Eric. Hey, Ryan. Uh, I'd like to know two parts. How do you, unless you keep people away from the sun and sunblock and aspartame and all these other cancer-causing agents, how can you say that natural gas causes cancer? And if that's their judgment, when are they going to outlaw cigarettes? I'd love to see them try that, your take on all that. No, and all that, too. And they say proper ventilation is the key. That's all you need. Plus, they said, oh, on on retrospect, it's not going to give you asthma. They said it might make your asthma worse if you had it. Well, big difference. I mean, what are you talking about? So something that's been in our kitchen forever that keeps our keeps our restaurants humming, we have to give it up. They're trying to give away almost everything that we have. Now, make you feel guilty for getting on a plane while they go on a private jet? Are you crazy? Why are people doing that? I mean, and then when you have ways to uh, to get people off the roads, maybe you have a chance to get oil off trains and make it safer and maybe have a less uh, ga- uh, green gas in the atmosphere. No, you won't do a pipeline which has almost zero footprint. So it's just insane. I, I could not be uh, more disappointed. I want you to hear from Andrew Gruel. He's a famous chef. He was on with Jesse last night, Cut 33. This is a comedy. Actually, it's a, it's a tragedy is really what it is. But let me throw out there, because you and I have talked about this before, if you recall, the microwave generation, that three years ago it was, okay, we're going to move from electric, and there was nothing mentioned about asthma or kids or any of that, and that didn't work. And then a couple years after that, they tried throwing a new alarmist piece into it. That didn't work. Well, what have they been doing for the past year? Using our kids as fodder and bait for their insanity. And now they're throwing the kids in there with this new study, which I should mention was written by an environmental think tank, whatever the heck that is, an environmental think tank whose financial incentive is to reduce greenhouse emissions. So... It's laughable, except for it's tragedy. Stratus Morgan has a series of restaurants. He was on with Tucker last night. Cut 32. 
with electric stoves. First of all, our bills will go six times higher. And then, yeah. then on top of that, our productivity drops. This isn't just going to hurt the restaurant hospitality industry. It's going to hurt real estate development. You remember, casinos, shopping malls, airports, uh, re residential towers, office buildings, they depend on us for the content. And if we don't develop the content for these big, you know, this is our industry, for these big developers, well, guess what? This whole thing will collapse. They're, they're makes, again, they're not following science, and this is not following science. Yeah, it's not. So uh, it's got to be pushback. What happens is they say things that's outrageous, and then they walk it back. And then they say, you don't have to get rid of your stove, but when it's time to get a new stove, make it electric. Really? If you care about the environment. Really? Why? Uh, because of this say, one study? Does it have anything to do with your green agenda? Everything. But you're just going to lean on one study because you're worried about my health. Don't worry about it. Now switch over to politics. So Kevin McCarthy is speaker. We know some of the things that he's implementing right away. They're going to do uh, a movement to impeach Mayorkas. Just symbolism because the Senate will never approve it. The president will never allow it. So they got to get two-thirds of the Senate. But I understand they want to send a message. Number two is rescind the 87,000 IRS agents. Say they're not going to be financed. The problem is the, the, the Senate has to okay it, and the president's got to sign it. So that's part of their agenda. They're also set up uh, a situation where they've kicked off of major uh, committees. Omar, because of anti-Semitism. Adam Schiff, because he has repeatedly lied with his top security clearance. And Eric Swalwell has already been compromised by a Chinese agent, famously. So they're all being moved out. And if you want to know the precedents, Paul Gosar, as well as Marjorie Taylor Greene, they didn't like her, by the way, she campaigned and some of the things she posted. So after being elected, they did that to her. So they go ahead, the Republicans, and do that. But I also thought it was significant what Jim Jordan was put in charge of. They're going to look into the weaponization of government. Weaponization of government. Cut 38. You got what, what we've seen happen across government and so many other agencies where it's been weaponized against the very people they're supposed to serve. The Department of Homeland Security tried to set up a disinformation governance board as if some federal agency should tell the American people what they're allowed to say, what they're not allowed to say, that if that's not a direct attack on the First Amendment, I don't know what is. And that's, that's what we're going to look into because the first step in stopping it is you have to get all the facts on the table for the country to see. Then you go about stopping and making sure it never happens again. And, of course, the Democrats hit the roof on that. They say you're trying to upend democracy, government. No, you got to make sure the IRS isn't weaponized against Trump or Biden or Clinton. You have to make sure the FBI is not hammering political persuasion or pulling political persuasion on social media companies. Is that too much to ask? And find out who else might be coming after you in Homeland. we got to find a way to rein people in, make them accountable. It's the only way. It would be great if Democrats understood that the tables could be turned sometime in the near future, and this should interest them too. Nice. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. A day like no other. First time in anybody's lifetime that they can remember outside 9-11 that every flight has been uh, postponed or canceled. You're talking about hundreds and thousands of flights have been postponed because of a system called the uh, 
the NOTAM system, which is basically a safety system, which says if you're in Atlanta and there's a fire or if there's a problem on a runway, it's a way for these airlines to communicate to their flights what the challenges are in each and every city. If that goes down, you can't fly. And guess what? First time ever that's gone down. Guess who Secretary of Transportation is? Another problem for Pete Buttigieg that didn't get in front of. Governor Chris Sununu is right here in studio. Fox Nation is seeing him right now on camera. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. Before we get to the great governor of New Hampshire, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Cooking with gas. Whether you like it or not, the Dems make a farcical move to get, get, get rid of gas ovens out of your kitchen and out of restaurant kitchens. No joke. Make no mistake. This is about a green agenda. Number two. There we go. The president of the United States talking about a failed policy with somebody that's failed us, and that is the president of Mexico as well as the president of the United States. His failed border policies are on display for the last two or three days as they heap praise on each other for failing their respective constituents. Number one. Docudrama as top classified documents found in Joe Biden's UPenn office has the White House scrambling for a coherent explanation. The president was questioned about it yesterday, and his tact is really entertaining. Please don't tell me what's in them. My lawyers don't want me to know. Uh, Governor Sununu, welcome. <laughs> I love it. I know. I mean, you are you you are just set up for all of the uh, the comedy of errors coming out of Washington. It's incredible. Today. First off, I just your reflection. Did you fly down? Uh, I flew down last night, and then I'll drive back today. Yeah. All right, so you'll drive back. Yeah. Smart. I mean, I cannot count on air travel. If for you and a guy in business, whether you're going to a conference, you can never say my plans lands at noon. Oh, I'll look, see you at 1. It's it's really one of the most vital pieces of infrastructure that has to be. And to your point, Pete Buttigieg has proven himself not to be a transportation infrastructure or supply guy. Right. has no sense of it whatsoever. Um, I, where it's a miracle he wasn't didn't have to come off vacation to deal with the issue, and, and all he really did was get in front of the cameras, uh, wait for somebody to you know plug the system back in or whatever the heck they had to do, and uh, and then we'll try to take take credit for it. But you got it to your point. You, you brought up you have to stay ahead of these things. Right. That's what executive management is. Right. You got to stay ahead and work the systems and understand you need fail safes. You need Plan B. To sit, simply ground America for six hours is not is not the solution. For what I know about you, this would drives you nuts about your business. Is if people are in there to be famous or be noted or get an article instead of being efficient, and that's how you get noticed. Being good at your job gets you that noticed. Results get you the win. They do. Right. I don't care how much money you want to raise or how many headlines you want. If you get results, and not just your party and your base will say thank you. America says thank you, or your constituency across the board says thank you. And so whether – look, I, I'm a Republican governor of a very purple state. Um, our, our legislature is 201 Republicans, 199 Democrats, wow. right? We have a two-point margin, uh, Repub- and we have a Speaker of the House, by the way, no problem. Um, but we still get stuff done no matter what. We always get it done. And I don't have to raise taxes. I don't have to really – I can give a little to get a lot, you know? Democrats are actually amazingly bad at negotiation, right. which is why I wish Republicans would wake up and say, yeah, happy to negotiate with Democrats because we're going to get 10 times what we have to give. I always think about that feature we did together. You let me follow you around a little, and you, it was a voting day, and it was primary day. And you said what people don't understand is everyone basically is going to be in office for a little while. You're asked to go in and serve. In so, New Hampshire, yeah. In New Hampshire. Yeah. So it's, it's one of these things you really feel an obligation rather than this is my – I'm going to be in politics for a living. No, this is my moment. i got to get in there That's and get it. busy. And, and, and I, gotta, I have to get elected every two years. If I do the job, I can get reelected. You have to get elected. I do, yeah. And, I don't like that, by the way. I love it. You do? I hate it as a governor because it's really hard on me personally. But the system really works. You're not doing your job. We're going to fire you. 
Like, right, that's, that's kind of the private business way. Right. And there's no excuses. I only had two years to get stuff. That's plenty of time. I'm proof positive. You can get a ton of stuff done in two years. So your dad was chief of staff for George H.W. Bush. Yes. So he understands efficiency and, you know. We're engineers. You know, my okay. dad was a mechanical engineer. I'm a civil engineer. S- systems, feedback response systems, design. Yeah, that's what we love. Well, I did not know that. Really? Yeah, I was a, I was a civil and environmental engineer for about 12 years. I cleaned up hazardous waste sites and I designed I bridges and dams, roads. I did all that. Yeah. So if someone wanted to get someone with experience to uh, implement an infrastructure plan, you'd be the pr- person that could do that. Uh, yeah, or an engineer, right? I mean, look, I love redesigning things. And, and I take that to the opioid and to the fentanyl crisis. I've completely redesigned and rebuilt. We call it the doorway now, and we're getting results. Mental health. It isn't about policies and funding. That's fine. That's the easy part. It's about saying, okay, where's the barriers? Where did the system break down? What's happening at a localized level? Can I bring in new providers? We need ro- better rural access to care. da 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 and you put all these pieces on the table, you get stakeholder input, you redesign the system, and you have the courage to do it. So when uh, do things like uh, confidential documents, and if your dad's chief of staff for George H.W. Bush, I don't know what the intent is, but if George H.W. Bush has to leave after four years because he lost re-election, if, as chief of staff, you might have to say, there's got to be a system in place, Mr. President. I know you're setting up a library, but you can't take that with you. Sure. I know that, you know, I know that means a lot to you, and it was great. you can't take that with you. There's no system in place clearly for almost any administration. Isn't that shocking! It's stunning. Where's the Where's the, where's the archives? Where's the, where's the archives? I, exactly right. And it's I might be wrong in this, but it's my understanding that a former president always has the ability to go back to the archives to look at his documents. Right? Yeah. So you could give everything the archives and even the classified ones. You can still go back and look at them and have access to them. So it's not like they once you if you don't have them in your right. office. I love that Joe Biden like didn't even clearly know he had an office somewhere. You know, right, or whatever I mean, the heck so, that was. So, I don't yeah, know. So, so as you know, there's at least ten documents of the highest security clearance. Yeah. Uh, they revolved around Ukraine. What else is new? Uh, to Iran, you know the Iranian deal, and uh, and uh, the UK. Number one, our allies are a little dicey about us. Can we tell America anything and feel like this intelligence is going to be secure in light of WikiLeaks? Remember the communications that were exposed. So having said that, the president, and I I find this interesting. I was alerted by a CBS alert about these documents, number one. Number two is he had people shout questions to him for the last three days, non-Fox reporters. What about these documents, Mr. President? And the first question, he'd only give one, was about the documents. So listen to his answer on how he got these documents. Cut eight. But I don't know what's in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were. I've turned over the boxes. They've turned over the boxes to the archives. And we're cooperating fully, cooperating fully with the review, and which I hope will be finished soon. Okay, let me ask you that. So I have documents, but I can't even ask what my own document. That's that's the dumbest answer, and it was written. That was written down. Look, the one thing I've learned as governor, I mean, there's such a difference between the two administrations. I worked with uh, the Trump administration very well for four years, and now with the Biden for a couple years. The, The fundamental difference is the staff. Trump actually had staff, and Pence had staff that really understood systems and processes. And you could these are like a bunch of twenty-something socialist young Turks that have no sense of anything. I mean, you you see their press conferences, right? I almost feel bad for those who have Corinne to. Corinne Jean Pierre. Yeah, I mean, God bless her. She I, says nothing of substance. Nothing of substance, and they tell her, say nothing of substance, right? And as much as we want to, it's so easy to criticize her, but I I almost feel bad for her because it's so bad. Now, what what's the result? I think to your point, America, our our allies across the country go what across the world go what the heck is going on there? What you you you're giving us nothing of substance. We can't trust you with classified documents. 
And so there's an erosion of, of public trust, especially at the federal level. Now, not just me, but I think other governors, I think, do a pretty darn good job of trying to rebuild that trust because we get stuff done. Right. But there's clearly an erosion of trust at the federal level. So if this happens, what do you think it does? And you not, I want to make sure you're not a lawyer, right? Oh, God, no. Okay. <laughs> so legally, I've just I don't think, think lawyers should have any position in public office, by the way, but that's just me. There goes all of Washington <laughs> if they listen to you. Uh, now, politically, does this change at all, if you're attorney general, what you decide to do with Trump and Mar-a-Lago? Even though Mar-a-Lago a grade of, uh, a grade of scale, different circumstances, but really it's about confidential documents. I think it ties their hands in terms of maybe what they want to do politically, right, to punish the former president and all that kind of stuff. But now they, they understand that they can't have do one thing on one side and not one on the other. So then so it does – it, it might it, give the pre- uh, Trump a pass. Yes, I would I would guess so. This is my quick uh, 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 analysis of this, but how could it not? Because it's going to look so one sided, so overly political, as everything they do, you know, is out of Washington. All right, I just because I know you get a kick out of this. When asked, Democrats, when asked the difference, and what do you think the significance of the uh, of the documents being found at the president's, the Biden Center of the University of Pennsylvania, cut ten. DOJ is reviewing classified documents that were found in. I heard, but it's not. They didn't say he was holding on to them. They said they found them there. Right. Do, do you think that poses a national security threat? No. Why not? Because I don't think so. They were in a locked closet. They were not accessible, and that's why the appropriate process was followed. This is not Mar-a-Lago, and this is not a president refusing a subpoena. I don't think it compares at all. It was negotiating the subpoena. You're right. Mar-a-Lago was bigger. The president's a self-inflicted wound by Trump. No doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. I love that the Democrats are like, but, it, it's <laughs> a lockbox. It's in the lockbox. Oh, there was box. a lock in the closet about at it. the University yeah. of Pennsylvania. Uh, the ones in Biden's office were, were in green folders and Trump's were in red folders. Exactly. So it's a completely different situation. So when you <laughs> when you were watching uh, that melee last week for the House speakership, yeah. were you saying, Governor Chris Sununu, this is why I didn't run for the Senate? This is why I didn't run, uh, uh, want to go to Washington? No one ever says, I regret not joining the circus. Right? right? That is not a – and so that was my thought. You yeah, thought it was they, they, Yeah, of course it was. Look, it went from – It was real, is, though. Oh, it was. This is kind of interesting. He doesn't get it on the first couple of votes to kind of a joke around votes four to five to six to, okay, now this becomes alarming. Like, is this ever going to get done? Now, here's the good news. It got done. They got their rules done. They're moving forward. I'm actually quite optimistic that they can work together, actually move the ball forward. But I hope everyone understands very little is going to get done out of Congress unless they're willing in some way – to, again, find that their ability to negotiate. Yeah. They're, they're going to have to get some Democrats on board with some things. Two things I was encouraged about. Number one, a bipartisan delegation went down to the border right away. And, yep. you know, obviously it's not an election season. And it was Senator bipartisan. Kelly, yeah. Uh, uh, Senator Kelly, Senator Coons, um, Senator Murphy, at least three off the top of my head, I saw that. So why would you go to the border after the president won if you, don't, if you didn't want to see it? You don't have to. So my sense, it might be an ounce of sincerity there. Fingers crossed, but you look at me as I'm naive. No, I think, uh, I think that's real. And number yeah. two is when Mike Gallagher was assigned to the Special China Select Committee, they said, I don't have any Democratic interest. Well, yesterday was different. The, he got a lot. I only think he got 365 votes for a bipartisan China Select Committee, which means there'll be a Democratic presence on it. I hope we can identify the common enemy politically, that's right. uh, intellectually, militarily. It is China. And, and look, that's a good sign. I, I'm a 
I, I go back to what I said before. With Democrats, you don't have to give a, a, a ton to get a lot out of them. And you can always find a couple that have direct interest, whether it's being tough on China. And I'm a big China hawk. I think we need to be very, very tough. I think Xi Jinping has, has, has at least behind closed doors, have said things that I don't think people appreciate how, un, uh, how anti-American and anti-Western he really is. He really, truly believes in bringing back that, that true, pure uh, communist regime. Uh, and so you got to be, be tough on that and, and understand. And I think former President Trump and his administration was actually good, you know, had made some real viable steps there. This administration has to pick it up. The fact that going down to the border, look, do I think Biden's trip to the border was completely staged? Of course Absolutely. it was. And, and That's a bad staff on his part, too. It is. At least he went. At least he went. I love that he's talking to Mexico. I don't know what happened there, but you're not going to solve the border crisis unless you do uh, what the former administration did was really get Mexico as part of the solution. You have to negotiate that. You've got to secure this border. It's driving the, the, uh, not just the uh, human trafficking, but more, even more to the point of the fentanyl crisis. Now, yeah. again, I think the administration is a, a bit two steps behind in terms of what to do on the fentanyl crisis, but you've got to start right. somewhere. So. We're all seeing some little inklings of signs, but I'm a detail-oriented guy. I say no time like the now. Uh, Governor Chris Nunez sticks around in just a moment. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So it's my privilege to tell you that Martha McCallum has walked in uh, to the studio. Governor Chris Sununu is still here. we got a few minutes at the bottom of the arrow. Governor, actually in person in New Hampshire, he will drive back even though he flew in. Governor, just about your political future. I watched Governor Hutchinson say he's thinking about it. Governor Hogan say he's really thinking about it. Clearly Pompeo is clearly thinking about it. Um, you said you're going to think about it after Ron the election. Glenn, yeah, governor, good governors are thinking about it. Uh, Ron, Sa- Ron DeSantis. Yeah. So wh- where are you at with your process? Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, a, a lot of folks are, are, are talking about it, and that's very flattering. I think they love the New Hampshire model, and I spend a lot of time traveling the country talking about our model. We, and, and I'm very proud of it, and I like to brag about it. Right? The people come up and say, look, you have no sales tax. You have no income tax. You have no interest in dividends. You have no inheritance tax. But we, you also have the most efficient government in the country. How do, you, how do we do it? And can it be translated on a national level? Absolutely it can. And um, so more important to the model, if you talk about the politics, is we were, we were just talking to Martha a little bit about the idea that I think the Republicans are still missing an opportunity and a need to talk to independents, a need to talk to the next generation of without voters. Without them, you can't win without Democrats You can't. And so we seem to be only focused on the next election. I'm focused on Repu- the Republican Party 10 years from now. I want that 20-something that hasn't been spoken to, hasn't been influenced and inspired by Republicans, where we've just kind of ignored it. That's where I want to go after it, not for my own benefit, but for the party's benefit. And I think we're missing that opportunity. But more the, the whole thing is, and you cover this, you don't win a primary by go being moderate or going after the moderate Democrats or independents, right? Yeah, well, that's the problem. I mean, one of the things that was created during uh, 2015 and 2016 is, is a 30-plus percent group that was very devoted to former President Trump. And so now every politician has to face the question of whether or not the way that you are 
presenting right. yourself is going to alienate that group. So if you're reaching over to these independents, are you going to alienate that other group? And how do you make up the difference in order to come out with the winning majority? Yeah. And the answer is, look, you don't change your f- – I'm a conservative. You know, I'm not changing my fundamentals or my principles. I'm just trying to be really good at selling our message. You know, this is the other problem with Republicans, I, which I, it's my team. I love my team. But we advertise. Advertise. No, the Democrats are influencing, and there's a real difference. They're influencing the next generation of voter to become Democrats, and we have to have that same strategy. What's the, how do you do the difference? What's the difference? The, so you, this is how you win them. Younger voters are not being told by, by Democrats that they have a voice, right? They're, they're saying the government will fix your problems. And they're buying into it because the other side isn't saying anything. I believe that as people that believe in individual responsibility and freedom and local control, those are our conservative principles. That's what people want. They want to know that they have a voice and they can influence the change at a localized level. It isn't just big government authoritarianism. Someone in Washington or the governor is going to tell me what to do and how to live. I'm going to do it. And you empower them, but you empower them with those conservative principles. So I'm, I, I don't, I'm not talking to independents to talk to their issues per se. I'm talking to independents to sell our product because we got a great product on the conservative side. We're just really bad at selling it. Martha, is it possible, though, to do that and win, a prim- and win the primaries when the most conservative person usually wins? Well, you know, I'm just thinking about where most of these people are um, in the age group that you're talking about are getting their frame of reference, and it's, it's at college. And that is a problem because we're not educating college students. And I, I'm a big proponent. You know, if you're going to be a political science major, and maybe if you're going to be any major, you should have to take a course in college that is, you know, liberalism versus conservatism. And no matter what your political background is, you should have right. to, like a debate society, <laughs> take up the other side's uh, perspective because we just have to graduate people who understand the differences. When we come back, we'll build on this conversation. Also, your feeling on how the Democrat are blowing up New Hampshire and the opportunity to take that state. The inside story when we come back with Martha McCallum and this other guy, Chris Anunu. Mm-hmm. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. In fact, I think this is going to be a slow-moving race. And not a quickly moving one. And I think what Donald Trump did by declaring really early was give anybody else who's considering it a pass to wait and see how things go. Uh, and so I don't think it's going to be very quickly moving. And I also don't think it's going to be a very large field. I don't think it's going to be more than seven or eight people max. <laughs> and so all that's going to take time to develop. I wouldn't expect a field to fully develop until the end of June. Because the RNC has said the first debates are going to be in July. In Milwaukee, and I don't think anybody's going to feel any compulsion to get in. Well, in July in Milwaukee. By the way, I didn't know we were subscribing. The Republicans were subscribing to the, the debate club, whatever that is. Uh, Governor Chris Sununu is here. Uh, were you Martha, part of the debate club, Brian? Uh, no. Well, what, what <laughs> are they called? The the, uh, the uh, federal debate. What do they call the it? The commission. Yeah, the commission. Sorry yes. about that. I, I lost the word. But I thought the I thought that. Uh, uh, that uh, Ronna McDaniel said, no, we're not in that. We're out. Yeah, no, I, I think there's there's some decision-making still to come on all of that and but, uh, what the format would be and all of it. I think right, that, and who the uh, who the moderator is going to be. Governor Chris uh, Sununu here, Martha McCallum. I'll moderate it. Yep, no, yeah, you, that, might, yeah, you might I think a governor would be a great moderator for a debate. <laughs> well, uh, if you were, I don't know, <laughs> if you decide not to run, but what do you think about his assessment of June 
where, yeah. where everything takes I th- you, I, Martha, I, you too? I think it's just about right on that. I think there'll be a few more than eight, or, or, or I think there'll be more like 10 or 11. But the difference is I think a lot of those will be out bef- even before New Hampshire. Right, they'll get in. I don't care who gets in, but there will be a winnowing of that field well before the first in the nation primary, which so, is uh, or, or January or early January. February. Yeah, which brings us to the bigger question. So uh, Joe Biden decides his Democratic Party will not make the Iowa caucus the first event and New Hampshire the first primary. Do you think that's going to stick? Oh hell no! Are you kidding? You can come and try to take it, Joe, but we ain't going anywhere. We, New Hampshire will be But if first. the Democrats don't show up, they don't so have So here's it. the amazing dynamic. First, South Carolina is a terrible place to put a primary because they get about 15% voter turnout, like New Hampshire sets records on it. In 2020, think about this, President Trump didn't even have a primary. The elitist powers that be basically said, well, Trump's our nominee, right? No one's challenging him. No primary in South Carolina. And they're going to do that again for the Democrats. So what Biden has effectively done is said, we're going to move the first of the nation primary from New Hampshire to South Carolina. And by the way, they're probably not even going to hold a primary for me. Mm -hmm. So what happens? It means anyone who wants to challenge Biden, and there will be more than a few, they're coming to New Hampshire. And we're going to have our voting first, whether they seat the delegates or not. We don't care. The press will be there. The excitement will be there. The energy will be there. The Republicans will be there. And the Democrats who want to challenge Biden will be there and be given an open lane to do so. It's going to be a wild dynamic. I think that's fascinating. Um, You know, I I think that President Biden would like to rewrite the calendar to where he wishes that it was in 2020, right? Um, If he had started in South Carolina, he wouldn't have had those horrible experiences in Iowa, horrible loss in New Hampshire. He left New Hampshire before the results. (laughs) Four o'clock, he was on a plane. You know, it's like, (laughs) I remember people texting me, you know, Biden just, he just left, just got on a plane and left. Didn't say thank you, nothing. Yeah, Uh, he doesn't care where he came in. He knows it's like fifth or sixth at this point. So he's moving on to South Carolina, which is, of course, where things started to turn around for him. So um, I, I think it's interesting. I think there should be pressure on Iowa, honestly, after what happened when we were out there covering it. And, you know, we had signals from people we were talking to the night before. Well, we have a new computer um, iPhone system (laughs) for how we're going to handle the caucuses. And we're honestly, frankly, a little bit concerned about that. Uh, That's off the record. You know, I mean, it was you could tell that thing was unraveling and nobody was in charge. So, I mean, I think they should have to face some questions about whether or not they deserve to have that process. Uh, New Hampshire has always worked well. And um, I think so you say you think there's going to be a lot of people who run against Biden. Who do you put in that group? Look, I. There's no doubt Pete Buttigieg is thinking about it, and he would do well. Can you imagine a se- sitting secretary right? running against the president? And once one does, the floodgates open up, right? It's first through the door, and then it, it really does open it up at some point. Look, I, I say this, but I really – what you, the joke is what do the Democrat elites say behind Joe Biden's back uh, in Washington? Well, exactly what they said to his face on the primary stage, that he was an old, out-of-touch white guy that didn't represent the future of this progressive party. And she became and, vice president. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so you think they're just going to sit around and let him walk into another term? No way. They're not going to stand for that. They're going to find some way to drive him out. You know, Martha, so, you would know better than me, but they say the machine, and especially you with your dad's chief of staff for uh, George H.W., the mach- once the machine gets behind you, if the machine was even by Kamala, behind Kamala Harris, it's hard to get in front of that. And even, right. you know, to be the, you could be Pat Buchanan going against the machine, whatever you want, but you're going to make noise, but you're not going to win. So is there something to the White House machine that, now, that Biden has that's going to make it impossible for even a Gavin Newsom to, to Well, you guys dent? tell me, but I don't think it's the only Democrat machine. 
right? There, there's multiple Democrat machines. There's the AOC machine. There's the White House Joe Biden machine. There's the everybody else. I think there's a lot of pieces to play. Let's, let's really think about these first four states. Iowa, which they've proven was an absolute epic disaster in 2020 on the Democrat side. They still don't – I think it took literally a month and a half to figure out who won. Mm-hmm. New Hampshire, they I got it right, but did. now they're saying they're not going to play in New Hampshire. South Carolina, where they're going to pre-pick Joe Biden. Then Nevada, I think they're still counting votes in Nevada from the from the Nevada, right? So the first four states for Democrats could potentially be absolute disasters, which allows that big open door for a challenge. So and, let, and don't forget, just yeah. quickly, um, when you talk about the different machines, the Obama machine didn't want Joe Biden to run the first time. They tried really hard. They were saying, you know, that he was Mr. Magoo wandering around the debate stage right. and saying, you know, you can always count on Joe to F it up. So um, my guess is that they are not going to be enthusiastic about another run for him. And he, by all you know, reporting, has something to prove to those folks. He's still angry at them and, and wants another term. Yeah, uh, if on pure performance, I think he might be misreading. Like you, I believe fundamentally, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that abortion issue really stopped the red wave and it was I, not I acknowledged. Okay, so if you believe that, the president doesn't. The president believes that he's doing a lot better than everyone tells him and proven the pudding was because he kept the Senate and had a small, just barely lost the House. So that's why I believe that he sees no reason for him not to run. So quick question. The common thought is you would have run for Senate and Governor Ducey would have run for Senate if it wasn't for Trump um, not fully backing you. What? And, and no, no, that had nothing to do with it. That, you know, was going to run against you, was against you running. Was that anything to do with that? Oh, goodness, no. No, I look, I talked to former President Trump about three months ago to help me to help us get behind a, another Senate candidate. No, no, that, that was, look. If I had nothing just, to do with it? Oh, zero. Okay. Oh, no, no, not at all. No, everybody wanted me to run. There's no doubt about that. But that's, that's not my skill set. I can defend New Hampshire uh, and, and protect and, and create opportunities for New Hampshire a thousand times more, a thousand times a day, uh, frankly, compared to what the U.S. Senate does. It's, it's just um, – it, I'll be very super polite and say it's just not for me, but, yeah, you should probably fire all of them. But, I, I mean, I just think it's a clown show down there. I do. I do. And I don't mean to be rude about it, but, uh, look – my constituents can meet me every day, anywhere, in the grocery store, in my neighborhood, whatever it is, right? And they demand, and there's accountability, and I have to live up to that. But somehow the Senate gets away with it, right? And they get their six-year terms, and it's all about money and the political you know, headlines and all that. But I got to do my job, and I just – I demand if you're on the school board, you do the job, or the governor, or the president, or you're a senator. And I don't see it happening, not from either side of the aisle. It's frustrating. Are right. you frustrated? Because I don't you think know I'm the conventional wisdom is uh, that uh, bad candidates were chosen because Donald Trump picked the, some people they couldn't no, win. No, I don't think Trump had anything and to do kept, with it. And kept Sununu out oh, and no. kept Ducey out. Oh, no, no. I don't think that had anything to do with it. But, but separate from that, if you had run, if Doug Ducey had run in Arizona, if McCormick had been the nominee in Pennsylvania, do you believe there would be a Republican majority right now? Well, I think I would have won. I think Doug would have won. I think Phil Scott in Vermont would have won if he chose to run. Let's not forget Phil. Um, I think actually uh, Larry was it Larry Hogan could have run for the U.S. Senate and won if he wanted to. And not McCormick in Pennsylvania. Mm, I don't know. That, that, that was one. tough. You you know, know, that was a tough one. I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. enough about that one. But, but, I could, all, but yes, what you just painted is a is a, is a majority. majority. Yep. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So the fact that uh, Trump's in won't affect you. Your decision. No, I mean, I can't speak for other people, but I'm just telling you, no, no. But for you. No, it doesn't affect me Does your dad want you to run? For what? President. Oh, dear Lord. No, you know what my dad wants? My, my, my dad and I are pretty obsessive about New Hampshire. And if our model in, uh, in New Hampshire can be you know, brought to the rest of the country, whether it's as a candidate, as president, as someone who's just you know, trying to have a national voice in terms of 
what success can look like from a public service standpoint, um, there's a lot of paths to that. So my dad wants me and my family to do what's best for, for me and my family in the state of New Hampshire. And, and I don't know what that is yet. I really don't. But I, we don't have to, as, as Chris Christie said, he's right. No one has to really decide right now. I'll be traveling the country, talking to a lot of people, hopefully getting them excited and inspired. The, pro- the other issue I have with the, the party, because I'm, I'm about branding and messaging, and I just think we have such a cool product, but we're terrible at selling it, is, we're, again, we're not inspiring. We're not positive. We cannot be the party that says, well, we're not Democrats. And I just hear that too much. We're so much better than that. We have a better product than saying I'm not the crappy product, right? We've got all of this individual liberties and freedoms and low taxes and local control, all these bases that all of us from the most conservative to the most moderate Republicans can galvanize behind. Let's talk about those things, inspire, and get people excited about getting more involved in public service, more involved to to vote Republican, more involved to kind of grow up in that idea that America is great. America has forgotten how awesome we are. And I just think Republicans have the opportunity to let that shine. Uh, Martha, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I disagree. Uh, No, you know what I'm thinking as you're talking, though? I'm thinking about the extension of the student loan program. I'm thinking about all of the benefits that came through COVID that made, you know, incentivized people to stay home for a really long time. I see a workforce that has gotten complacent and people who like getting the handouts. I was talking to a young woman the other day who said, you know, she's very savvy. And she said, you know, why would I pay my student loan off? They keep, she said, I keep logging on to the website and they keep telling me that I have another nine months now. She's like, I'm going to put that money that I saved to pay (laughs) it back into two-year treasuries and I'll get a little bit of a return on it. And then when the government tells me I have to pay it back, then I'll pay it back. But they're they're working very hard in Washington right now to make people more reliant on the government. And and sadly, based on the midterms, I would say people seem to like it. Well, I'm going to be, then why am I so popular? Right. I only cut taxes. We minimize the handouts and all that in New Hampshire. We have a very small and efficient government. But the Republican governor, if I may, is, you know, I'm, I'm quite popular in a state with a lot of Democrats. It's not just I, I would just disagree. It's not all about the handouts. And I just think that we can actually overcome that um, with better messaging, better influence, more positivity. You know, this idea that they pass this one point seven trillion dollar I mean, that was handouts, all of those earmarks and all that. And I think you need to ban earmarks out of Washington. But the idea that those politicians can get elected easier because they're giving those handouts, I don't, I don't buy it. I think very few folks say, well, that organization there got a lot of money from Congressman so-and-so, so therefore I'll vote for Congressman so-and-so. At least in New Hampshire, I can tell you, it doesn't work like that. Well, right. You better loan, show up. The, the relief of student loans polled extremely well. And that combined with the abortion decision, I think, is why we saw those surprises on on the lines of, you know, 18 to 24 when we were looking at who they're voting for. I think that was powerful with that group. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that I thought it would be countered by the 35-year-olds who just paid off their loans who are angry about that. That's yeah. what I that's, that's what I thought. But you, and we you don't put those post. folks on TV enough. We right. don't put those – you know, we don't put, if I may, a, a, a farmer that is out in the Midwest that now has to pay for the, for the lawyer's degree mm-hmm. in, in New York City – Put that on television. Show that frustration. Well, we do a lot of diners on Fox and Friends. We talk about it a lot. Right. Hey, listen, Martha's going to stick around and give us an exclusive look at who's going to be on her show at 3 o'clock today, Eastern Time. And, Governor, if you promise to take Martha's information and spread it all to everyone in New Hampshire, make sure your whole state watches. I shall sprinkle a little bit everywhere. That's all. Back in a moment. New Hampshire audience today. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. A, f- a few more minutes here with Governor Chris Sununu and the great Martha McCallum. Now, Governor, you had a question about who was on Martha's show. Do you want to ask her directly? <laughs> so it's Martha, a burning question. At 3 o'clock today. Thank At 3 o'clock, because I'll be tuning Governor. in. <laughs> Thank you for asking, Governor. I just Governor. want to prepare myself. I, exactly. Well, I saw you on earlier today and on Brian's show. We have a little bit of a, yeah, we, we, we sorry. Lindsey no, Graham's on. Lindsey Graham's on today. You were not on our show. Uh, you, he was with Hammer. That's right. I know. Yeah. Earlier today, yes, yes. with the, on that great show with Dana and Bill, which was awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about this airline thing. Um, to me, at this point, the biggest question is what happened, right? We haven't had a ground stop across this nation since nine eleven. So obviously, this was a very serious issue, and so we're gonna dig into that with um, with, a, with. I assume someone just like kicked the plug out and they couldn't find what else. <laughs> I, I pray it wasn't that simple. Control I, Alt Delete, I and they're pray, like, "Hey, wait, I it works." It was that simple. <laughs> Control Alt Delete. Why didn't someone tell me this before? We're also gonna talk about um, the classified documents that were found and sort of what we're learning now that they related to Iran and to Ukraine. And my whole thing with this is just. You know, either you're allowed to take classified documents or, not. or you're not. I don't care whether it's 150 or 10, but there should be an equal punishment if you break this rule. The problem is that people have been, you know, stuffing them in their socks and bringing Apparently them home to no their rule. night table for, for decades and decades, and nobody takes it seriously. So, so what I thought the funniest explanation, and I laughed out loud, and then I found that there's not even a legal basis for it, is when he was asked, my lawyers have told me not to ask what's in the documents I took. So that's basically not to ask. What does that mean? Because obviously one of the answers is if he actually was working on his own book, it would make sense. Some of the pivotal moments, I don't know. uh, I don't think necessarily the U.K., but I know Iran, the Iranian deal makes sense. The Ukrainian deal, my goodness, with his sons and Burisma and firing that judge. I mean, these are some of the things that he might want to refresh his memory. I I love that it took two years. This was sitting in an office. No, actually, not two years. Technically, he was More sitting in his office for six years, yeah. right? Well, 20, 2017. <laughs> Why doesn't the Secret Service oversee the removal of all documents from the White House Absolutely. and Vice President's office? You know, like when you're taking stuff out, I realize it's a chaotic time, but, you know, they, you should assign, I don't know, six, seven people to go through the documents. You can't take anything that's got a classification mark on it. If you want to write a book, you can check in at the, you know, Absolutely. Library of Congress. We'll put you in a room or a skiff or whatever. You can use them for however many hours you need. And then when you're done, they have to go back. I mean, it's not Why that hard. Why would you want to carry that stuff around? I hate moving. I hate moving stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so I, Do you guys remember boxes? the boxes that Trump took out? you know where oh, they yeah. were? At 1 o'clock in the afternoon, they're sitting there with a bunch of 20-year-olds, look like interns. They were loading them out to the helicopter. Yeah. There's no secret. Right. They were in cardboard boxes. Because there's no rules. Well, it was yeah. a bit of a chaotic period, if you remember. Um, well, I know, and, and I think 6th? they might have taken advantage of that to load up the... Load up the helicopter. I just assumed like his coffee mugs and his pictures were in the boxes. Right. So <laughs> spare I, pencils. He did took you some know the governor has an engineering back, civil engineering background? Yes, I did know. Right. That. I, I should have. Uh, I should have remembered that because we discussed it. I remember as I think about it again. But MIT. He's uh, no dummy. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. Did you, did you go to MIT? I no. did go to MIT. Yeah. Right. I didn't like the I campus. Brian there I was going to go there. I didn't like the campus. Sometimes. Not good campus life. <laughs> Nobody went out. Didn't like the cafeteria. But what I was saying is. As we go out, the president of the United States is looking at two major things, the Georgia investigation, and he's looking at the investigation over these documents to come out. If he was to, if he was to beat this, who, both of them would look like a win. And then uh, pure politics in New York. I, mean, I don't know if you're following this. It's pure politics. They're just going after a businessman they used to laud. Now they want to go find something. They put a 76-year-old 76, 76 CFO in Rikers Island. 
which is crazy. Does, is Trump harder to beat if he beats these two things? And if he doesn't beat these two things, does it hurt him? I don't think it matters. Really? I don't. I, don't, I think America is, is tuning out on a lot of it, mm-hmm. right? Look, these guys went through the January 6th hearings. Let's take January 6th, which I think is a much bigger issue and more concerning in a variety of different ways. Uh, they actually recommend criminal charges against a former president. It barely got a headline. Right. It really did. So when you, they're going they after Trump for yeah. this or a win there, it, it's getting to be noise for people, whether it's a, the January 6th or the files or the, right. the Biden files or the laptop and all that. Some of this is really serious stuff. But unfortunately, we become so desensitized as Americans. I don't think people are paying Because no one ever sees anyone held accountable for any of it. So they're like, why should I care? Congress can't indict Donald Trump. So who cares if they bring a criminal charge? People are so disgusted with the fact that nothing gets done, which is why this governor didn't want to be in the Senate. Thanks, Martha. Thanks, Governor. This is fun, man. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.